Our text for today is from the Gospel reading, just read a few minutes ago. Perhaps aside from some spring allergies and some other things, most of us are probably more than ready for spring. Longer days, warmer days, but because we live here in St. Louis, we know what it is to use heat in the morning and air conditioning in the afternoon. Spring comes to us slowly. A week ago, after worship, I drove over to the Bear Garden Shop. Last year I was there and had other ways of gathering some annuals. If I'm going to be home, if I'm going to be a part of this community in a very tight way, I have plenty of time to tend pots and plants that need regular watering. This year, probably being more true to who I am as a gardener, I bought things that are going to last. Something I can put into the ground, tend to it as much as I think I need to, and let it go off on its own. While I was there, I bought several things. I, brought, I bought two hydrangea, a, re, a pink dogwood. I planted some morning glories just because they're a little bit obnoxious. They like to go like us some days. They like to go where they want to go, and sometimes you have to rein them in, and I don't mind going around and yanking them out and casting them away. And then I also planted some milkweed. They came to me by mail, and I opened them up, and they were vibrant already. They were hardy plants, and so far, they have survived my planting them into the ground. There's much that I'm willing to do as a gardener, and there's much that I am willing to try, but some things frustrate me. Cutworms, rabbits, squirrels. I don't always know what I can do to combat those things that probably feel they have as much a right to eat it as I have to enjoy it. Perhaps that's why one of the reasons that I am actually a member at Missouri Botanical Gardens. How many of you have ever been to Missouri Botanical Garden? If you've been there, then you understand a little bit from firsthand experience, but let me give you a bit of a tour. Whether you go into the old Ridgewood Center or into the new way you enter the garden, you come in, and at, right away you have to make a choice. Are you going to kind of go off in a counterclockwise direction, or are you going to go off in a clockwise direction? My habit is to go clockwise. You go past some pools, and you go past some wind chimes, and a sensory garden where one of these days I might be able to grow lavender, where I love to go up and you rub your hands against it a little bit and you smell it and it's just wonderful. It's fresh. It's great. And in season, you'll pass by irises and then past Shaw's tomb. If you keep on going, eventually you'll come across what is called the English wooden woodland garden. If you've not been there, imagine if you will. Dense trees. Not like across the street at Shaw Park where, Tower Grove Park, where we have trees that are majestic and huge and wonderful and spaced out and give a very wonderful place to spend some time. But in this English woodland garden, things are just a wonderful canopy. 
even in the midst of summer, it covers us. You can walk through there and you hear the gentle water that flows there. You smell the fresh earth and you're cooled by the protection that comes from that part of the garden. I'm probably not the only one that wished there was some way that I could convince the botanical garden to just let me build a small cottage. Something just slightly out of the way, but embracing that tranquility, that beauty, that that beautiful protection and cover and peace. I would like to stay there. But because Shaw Garden won't let me put up as much as a tent there, generally I keep on going. Then I go to a part of the garden I find to be the most fascinating. If you're continuing on a clockwise fashion, if you were going to go uh, to the left, you would eventually come into the Japanese garden, but I like to go right. Go to this place that baffles me. They're called roses. I don't get roses. I have one in my yard. It was left by a previous owner. At times, I must do something right because once in a while, these beautiful, absolutely stunning red roses will come. I've watched videos. I've had people show me. I've even kind of lurked and watched what the gardeners do when they trim at the botanical garden. I don't get roses. I'm more not a very delicate gardener. I tend to find that once I get to a certain point, I find it best just to start over. This rose bush that's in my front yard is large enough that it has basically a stump. So this last year, in my very delicate way, I cut it down to the very bottom, almost even with the ground, thinking if we start over, we'll just see what happens. Sure enough, this spring, that stubborn root sprouted, almost defying my desire to keep it contained. It's doing quite well but I don't know whether or not it'll have a rose. So imagine, if you will, let's take a moment and pause in the rose garden. In our text for today, Jesus describes himself as the vine, his father, the vine dresser. My brutal way of gardening sometimes either causes or part of it is gathering up that which doesn't do any good. I have some tree, I don't know what it is in my neighbor's yard, that drops all these little twigs and other things that just seem to always be wanting to be gathered up, but that's okay, I like putting it into the fire. But that's not the image that Jesus gives us in our text for today. As he draws us into his garden, He invites us to come alongside and listen to him as he talks about his father, the gardener, the one who tends to him. Remember, it's the father that actually sent Jesus to suffer, to die, to rise again, that we would have life. There's an image here, though, of gardening, that when you think about taking all the dead wood, gathering it into a pile, and burning it. We're pretty quick to move on from stories. Just as the first two verses of this text, when it brings up that that bit about not always being fruitful, I like to move on to the better parts. 
Just as when we hear the garden story, the one with Adam and Eve, we hear about how they lived in paradise until sin entered and God cast them from the garden, but he knew, he knew they would try to find a way in. They would find a way to get over to see what was still growing and still beautiful and wonderful. God takes sin incredibly seriously. There were two things that happened after God threw Adam and Eve out of the garden. First, he established a guard, an angel with some sort of fiery sword that stood there. (laughs) That would be intimidating. It's one thing to be asked to leave a garden, to at the end of the business day, if Shaw Garden tells you it's time to move on, it's time to leave, they probably don't have an angel standing at the entrance with a fiery sword to keep you away, but that's different when it involves our sin. Our sin caused God to be in a place that was not part of the original plan, but as soon as he cast them out and put this angel with a fiery sword to be part of the protection, he then promised them. He promised our first parents that he would send another. Another who would crush the head of Satan. Satan would bruise his heel. And through this promise one, all the way back in the book of Genesis, God established a plan. A plan that would bring about hope, bring about comfort, bring about new life. A word of assurance. First, as baptized children of God, especially baptized children of God who are here in church this morning, or gathered at home or wherever it is that you watch the service today, that baptism restored a relationship that was made possible in Christ. So we're not the ones that are being gathered up like dead branches, unfruitfulness, and cast into the fire. Instead, we're brought here to this place to be renewed, But there's also a part of this passage when Jesus talks about his father, about pruning. I'm grateful that God is God and I am who I am and you are who you are. If you're a gifted gardener, you know how it works. You could probably illustrate for us how important it is to carefully prune, to cut, to know whether flowers are set the year before so you don't want to prune off that branch because you're going to cut off the buds or if it's the new wood that brings forth flowers. You know which intersection and how many leaves to count and where to cut a rose. Just as God who created you, who redeemed you, who brought you to life and faith through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's still there. When death comes to our lives, when more than this year of trouble impacts our world, for some of us, it's financial insecurity, employment wavering, income, food dependency. We don't always have an abundance. We just seem to have enough, and sometimes not even that. It's one thing to be in the midst of a pandemic, but we also have something that We needed more than a vaccine, more than protection from something temporary. 
our sin was permanent. And Jesus, in talking to the people there, his disciples in the garden, talked about how Jesus is the vine, his father is the vine dresser, and if we remain connected to him, we'll bring forth much fruit. All the experiences of life are sometimes a little bit of that pruning, that cutting off things that need to go. It's not unlike being at home so much this last year. I did set to throwing some things out. Things that I moved three years ago when I moved to South City that just aren't going anywhere. They're doing nothing for me, so it was time for those things to go. Sometimes in the reflection of Lent, we come across things that we give up and we never take up again. We've had an opportunity in the year of giving up and not doing and not gathering and not, not, not. We might have found those things that are all the more precious, like being here today, where we come again in, the, to, in an encounter with the vine to whom we are connected. Here, we're fed through his word. We're fed through his sacrament. We're fed through the fellowship that comes here, the being with brothers and sisters in Christ who are on this journey. But it's time. It's time when we have to also sometimes say, we do have to move on. The disciples that were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration knew that as much as they wanted to pitch tents and to stay a while longer, no, they went on. They came down from the mountain, and in the hymn we sing, we beg Jesus to come with us to the plain. Just as we might sit and enjoy looking at the beauty of the woodland garden, or looking at the beautiful roses, that in the midst of those thorns and everything else bring forth incredible beauty, a fragrance, an impact on our lives for a moment. And it's the same when we come here today. We're not going to stay. We move on. But we have an incredibly beautiful promise that comes to us in Jesus saying that if we abide in him, we'll bring forth much fruit. And he will continue to be with us every step of the way. We don't check him into the recycling bin when we get to the door. We don't say, well, I've punched my card. It's time to move on with my normal world. Instead, Jesus comes with us and goes with us from this place just as the memories of this day will last until we come back next week. And when it's time to leave and we go about our lives this next week, we also know we can gather again. When this same wonderful passage where Jesus is the vine, we are the branches, we who have abided in him, and we pray that this week we would have opportunities to bear fruit the gospel reading will continue next week and talk even more about the intense love that God has for us. We don't need to be afraid as we stand and leave, as we go about our world, we'll come back. We'll have time again. And through the power of prayer, those moments when we meditate on the power and the love of God, he restores our soul. My prayer this day is that each of us, fed, strengthened, rejuvenated here in this moment of Sabbath, will have the strength and the power of God going with us until we meet again. In the name of Jesus, amen.
The peace of God, which is beyond our human understanding, will keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.